So here's what I want to talk about. <clears throat> Thanks for letting me be here. I sort of, I sort of um, weaseled my way in because this is a favorite topic of mine. And that is, uh, and sorry, my voice doesn't carry very well. But I want to talk about God's will for marriage. And the, the wrong time to start thinking about that is when you're heavily involved in a relationship that may or may not be good for you, may or may not be healthy. So I want to just talk about that tonight. And it's, it's not really a, a sermon as much as it is just a talk from my heart, but we are going to look at a text pretty soon from Titus chapter 2. So if those are pages of your Bible that are stuck together, you can start looking for them now. <clears throat> and when I'm done, if you have any questions, we can talk as long as you want. And if you are completely dying of embarrassment and anguish, then James will just break you up into small groups. Otherwise, we can talk as long as you want. Um, I'd love to talk about it. So I'm not going to discuss this so much as just tell you some things and then you can respond to it during the, the Q&A. I want to just say this, first of all, God is very pro-marriage. It was his idea. And so you know, we, we can talk about it without shame. And I say that because we live in a culture now where there are literally more people who choose not to be married than those who choose to be married. And historically, what that means is that a society is about to turn upside down. It's about to go haywire um, because marriage is the, it's the glue that holds a society together. It's the basis for a family. Um, <clears throat> it's something that even little tiny children that I've counseled with instinctively, when they have unbelieving parents that have never been married, they always want their parents to be married. If, interestingly, they always want that. Um, 1 Peter 3 calls marriage the grace of life. It's supposed to be a joy to both. I've tried to, um, I, I've spent time since, let's see, how old is the oldest person in here, not counting parents? Oldest kid. So anybody who's 18, okay, you're it. So I've spent time since before Caleb was born trying to help couples put the pieces of their lives back together when their marriages are tearing their lives apart. When the romantic dreams that they thought, when the, the $25,000 they spent on a wedding uh, didn't do anything toward their marriage. And I've, I've seen that. And after the four or 500th couple that I worked with, I quit counting. And so this is not something that, I, that I'm guessing at. I've seen the results of not being trained the way you're going to be tonight. So what I want to just help you do is try to help you think biblically about marriage now. Because um, if you don't think biblically now, you're going to head down a road and suddenly realize, oh no, I'm going down the wrong road, and it's really hard to back that up. You know what the number one reason, <clears throat> statistically, that people who shouldn't get married, who don't want to be married, get married anyway? You know what the reason is? Because they already sent the invitations out. Is that a stupid reason to ruin your life or what? So I don't want you to get to that point of being 30 days away from a wedding that you know is a mistake. And just because you don't want to be embarrassed, uh, you, you saddle yourself with a terrible situation. So I don't want to talk so much even about marriage because you don't need to know that yet. But what you do need to know is the process of getting there and what that looks like. So I'm going to, we'll look at Titus 2 in a few minutes, but I want to do kind of three things. Here's our plan. I want to just talk for a minute about motivation for marriage. Now I want to talk about the method for marriage. We'll spend most of our time on that. And I want to talk about maturing for marriage, getting mature. So we'll look at motivation, method, and maturing. How do you know you're ready? So just for a second, I want to talk about motivation for marriage. And this is, this is just plain and simple. This is not a this is not a, a negative thing. This is not something meant to make anybody feel bad. But if you're not saved, if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will get married thinking that will make you happy. That's what you will do. I guarantee it. You'll think that that's going to make you happy. I will also make a second guarantee that it won't. It won't work. It won't make you happy. You'll be disillusioned. You'll be frustrated. You may have some wonderful experiences. You may find a degree of happiness if you find somebody that you fit nicely with personality-wise. But ultimately, um, you'll get married to get something. You won't get married out of a desire to be a selfless servant, 
which is something that only a, a Christian can do. But even Christians get married with wrong motives as well. I've seen this as well. Um, you get married for, for happiness or for the fantasy of constant emotional love that you think that that wedding day feeling is going to um, last forever. Let me tell you something that I've told couples in their wedding. I've said to the guy, look at this beautiful bride. You see her? That's as good as she's ever going to look. This is it. <clears throat> look at this guy, how handsome he is, how he's trim and muscular. This is it. In 15 years, what's up here is going to be down here. I mean, that's the way it goes. They get married for this ideal that doesn't exist. And you, you uh, get married, others get married just for sex. They'll say, I need to be married because of this. And they find out that's a, that's a horrible foundation for a marriage. Um, I know of Christians who have gotten married just to get away from their parents. I know of one girl who married a guy just because her parents hated him. That was the only reason. Guess what happened to that marriage? She's on her third one right now. <clears throat> ruined his life, ruined her life. All kinds of wrong motives to get married. Or, here's the right motive to get married. You get married to serve the Lord as a husband or a wife and to fulfill a God-given role in that capacity. The husband is to care for and nurture a woman through her lifetime, and the wife is to help him and to push him to succeed in life and to do all that God has called him to do. Now, I'm not gonna take a lot of time to talk about biblical roles in marriage, but I will just say this. Every person who's ever gotten married does so voluntarily, and if you do so as a Christian and you understand what God says a husband is to do, what God says a wife is to do. Nobody's making you do this. You do so voluntarily because I get that complaint all the time from passive men who say, Man, I didn't want to be the spiritual leader. I just wanted to show up at home and have my wife serve dinner and put a remote control in my hand. That's what I wanted to have happen. No, you, you bought into this. So I always, always just say, go in with your eyes wide open like that. So your motive for getting married is to serve the Lord as a husband or a wife. And let me tell a story that I like to tell. <clears throat> it is right and it's reasonable for you to look for somebody who offers you something, right? I mean, that's, that's reasonable. You don't, uh, no girl has ever put an ad in online um, for a husband saying, uh, wanted, guy with no skills and no prospects whatsoever, complete loser is what I'm looking for. No girl's ever done that. Now they end up with those guys sometimes. It's okay to look for somebody, but on the other hand, what about marrying somebody just because you can serve that person? And I'll give you an example that, that has touched my heart for years. I know of a couple that was engaged, and while they were engaged, the man was in a car accident, had a horrible head injury, and rendered him basically at the level of a sixth grader for the rest of his life, unable to make a living, and his parents came to his fiancee and said, look, let's just break this off. And she said, no, I'm going to take care of him. And she married him. And yes, she's very much like a mother to him in a lot of ways, but they've been going 25 years now. They've produced children. Um, he's been able to finally get a job and she has been faithful to him. And she is a happy woman because she decided to serve him. So that's a right motive for getting married. She's been a real hero uh, to me. So that's the motive. So let's talk about the method. And this is what we'll spend most of our time on. The method is how do you get to the altar? How do you get there? So I want to just talk about two different methods. And I'm just going to call them relationship method A and relationship method B. Because obviously you have to enter into a relationship. Uh, we, don't enter, we don't live in a culture anymore that uh, just has you show up to the altar and meet your future spouse for the first time. Um, that's a very scary thing. Um, there's some, actually some good parts to that, but that's not how we function anymore. So we're just going to call it A or B. I'm not going to give any other names to it. I want to just go through 13 qualities of each method and, and see what you think. We'll compare them as we go. Method A, the first quality, there's no goal in mind. There's no goal. Or worse... Only one person has a goal of commitment. The other one is just playing and having fun and deciding to just have a good time. It may be for fun, for entertainment, or for pleasure, or even um, for physical gratification at whatever level. There's no goal in mind. Method B immediately has the goal of marriage in mind. 
and works proactively toward that end. That that's the, one of the first conversations is we are working toward marriage. Now, the world's wisdom says you shouldn't even talk about marriage for the first six months in a relationship. But whose wisdom is that? That's the world's wisdom. So method A, there's no goal. Method B, there's immediately a goal in mind. Method A, number two, is based primarily on how someone makes me feel right now. It's based on how somebody makes me feel right now. Oh, he's cute. Oh, wow, have you seen her? She's beautiful. And it's all on superficiality, or he makes me laugh, or she's adorable. All of these things that really ultimately will go away over time. When uh, my wife was pregnant with our first son, and she was being sick every night. She had really long hair and she would wear it in a ponytail. Her job was to throw up. My job was to hold her ponytail up in the air while she did it. Now, how much, how much wonderful romantic feeling do you think was happening right then? Okay, I admit, I'm holding the ponytail going, what did I get myself into? Why am I here? What is, in the, oh wow, why am I here for sure? <laughs> And, and the other way around, too. I've been sick all week. My wife has seen me at my worst. And I'm sure she's had those thoughts. But method A, a relationship is based on how you make me feel right now at this moment. Method B, though, is based on character qualities that will serve a relationship for a lifetime. It's not how you make me feel at this moment. It's long-range character qualities. And they're observable. And how do you observe them? This is a little bonus. You do not observe somebody's character one-on-one -on -one alone. Did you know that? How do you observe somebody's character? It's when they're with other people. I, you telling me whether you love children or not doesn't tell me anything. Me watching you with children tells me the truth. Does that make sense? It's okay. Some people just hate kids. I mean, that's normal uh, for, for some people. Okay, at least you're honest about it but you observe character qualities, and so they're better observed, not alone, but in groups. Okay, method A, number three. Method A begins on a superficial level. It begins um, at a very, very superficial level. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is, a, there is an entire art to what the world calls the pickup line. You know what the pickup line is? It's your ability in one or two sentences to make somebody interested in you. And for men, men are the stupidest creatures on the planet because they think that coming up and saying something silly like, have you been blonde your whole life or is that new, is gonna make you, Sarah, suddenly go, oh, that's my man. <laughs> what does it really do? It makes you go, you're an idiot. There's a whole art to it, supposedly, but that's what the world thinks. Method A it begins on a superficial level. Method B, it begins on a spiritual level. It begins on the level of what are your spiritual qualities? Do you love Christ? When did you come to love Christ? Um, what are your goals in life? What do you want to see happen? How do you want to spend your life for Christ? How do you want to use the time that God has given you on this earth in a way that's pleasing to Him? It begins immediately on a spiritual level, not on a superficial level. And that's a good thing because superficiality goes away. It'll, it'll go away. I mean, have you ever seen, and I don't want to know details because then I might throw up, but have you ever seen a really, really old couple being kind of smoochy and kissy with each other? And you just kind of go, oh, do I want to watch that? Why are they being that way? Because they've gotten rid of superficiality years before, and what they look like on the outside doesn't make any difference anymore. But method A, it begins superficially. Here's number four. Method A, it's very private and often involves keeping sinful secrets. It's very private and it often involves keeping sinful secrets. In other words, method A, you meet so-and-so. And depending on how old you are, you may or may not tell your parents. That if it's, if it's in a situation where they don't know about it, the temptation is to keep it very secret. And what feels romantic is to keep it a big secret. And this is why, this is why uh, parents are checking your phones to see who you're texting. This is why they're checking your email, because that's the tendency of teenagers. 
is to do that. That is normal, um, worldly, sinful behavior to keep it private. And the, the Bible says is that, that foolishness and folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And two children, and what I mean by children are two people who are not yet ready to be married. Two children don't know how to be alone without sinning. It's not going to happen. They're going to sin. So method A, it's very private. It often involves keeping sinful secrets. Method B, it's very public, and it involves other people, like your family. It's very public, and it involves other people, like your family. One of the worst nightmares for a parent is for their um, freshman in college youngster to come home after one year and say, here is the love of my life we've been dating for a year. Really? You didn't even tell me that he or she exists? That's a nightmare for a parent because they've had no input, zero whatsoever. Instead of, here is a person that may become the love of my life and I'd like to, you to help me determine whether that's going to be the case or not. Method B, it's public. It involves your family. When it involves your family, do you think, here's a silly question, when your family's involved, do you think that your propensity to sin goes up or down? Down. 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 You guys are geniuses. That's right. It goes down. Number five, method A. Method A pushes away those who would give counsel and guidance until there's a crisis. It pushes away those who would give uh, counsel and guidance. In other words, um, the two 16-year-olds who believe they are the love of one another's life, they know everything there is to know about love. Why? Because it feels so good when we're together. And they know everything there is to know. And so there's a tendency to push people away, to keep secrets, to not want to take advice. Um, I have a saying that you know who the greatest experts on marriage are, at least in their own mind? <coughs> newlyweds. Newlyweds don't know anything about marriage, and yet I've had newlyweds tell me well, you know, we really understand marriage in a very, very deep way. In the 30 days that we've been married, we just really have come to this unique understanding. It's like, really? I have scars older than your marriage. I mean, this is ridiculous. I have another saying, you know who knows more about parenting than anybody else on the planet? A mother with her first baby. Well, I've read two books. I know everything there is to know. And so method A pushes people away. Method B, on the other hand, pulls people in who can give counsel and guidance. In the last few years, um, I have sat with a young man who has sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because he married a young woman who ruined his life. And the reason he was crying was because his dad, his mom, her dad, her mom, all of his friends said, don't marry her. Worst mistake of your life. She'll ruin your life. Guess what she did? She ruined his life. She, she took him places um, emotionally and physically. She uh, was manipulative. She got him arrested. She got him um, charged with things that could put him in prison, things that he didn't do. Everybody around him said, don't do it. But he knew better. And so method B pulls people in and you listen to them. Listen, if you think you're in love with somebody and the eight wisest people in your life all say this is a mistake, what, what should you do? At least say time out. You say run? Yeah, yeah run, exactly. <laughs> or you can say, you know what? I've enjoyed our time together. I'd like to give you a couple more years to grow up and, and we'll see what happens. But better to stay single the rest of your life than to marry the wrong person. Trust me, I've had hundreds of people tell me that after the fact. All right, here's number six. Method A pushes intimacy levels faster than God designed. Method A pushes intimacy levels faster than God designed. Now, let me tell you what happens. You guys are aware of this. At some point in your life, your body began to change. And for Boys, in particular, there was a certain point where they woke up and 24-7, all they think about is girls. And so for you ladies, for example, what you don't understand is that when you um, wear something that is showing a little bit of skin and you think it's, it's, it's just um, uh, fashionable for a guy, 
He's trying to figure out what that would look like without you wearing it. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but that's just the way it is. And, and hopefully you're thinking, ooh, and that's good. I want you to think that. But this happens, and so you get, you get two people whose hormones are going crazy. A, you think you're in love. B, and you're sort of acting like adults because one of you has your, your dad's car. And so you sort of feel like an adult. What happens? You start to push intimacy levels. And what that means is it's a slippery slope. Well, first we're going to hold hands. Oh, that's not a big deal. Well, then we're going to, then we're going to start kissing. Oh, that's not a big, level, a big deal. I don't know how many young ladies I've said, you know, don't go there. And they've said, oh, it's not a big deal. And then they're in my office with their parents crying because she's pregnant. I mean, I've done that 10 times easily because it's, a, it's like an icy slope. You start going down it. Um, what happens is, is you have short-circuited God's design for how you build a relationship. And so if you picture relationship building as going around a racetrack and you're at the starting point here and you're going to go all the way around here, when you jump to physical intimacy, instead of going around the track, you just go, oh, I can just go across the finish line that way and I can get there faster. Well, what happens is, is that you start acting like you're married sexually. You've derailed God's order of events and you, you've taken it off the track. And by the way, every time I have couples who have major problems or particularly have major problems with their intimacy life, I always ask them, when did this start? Every single time, 100% of the time, they had problems before they were married and they, they went down that track too fast. Why? Because like I said before, it's private. It tends to um, create sinful situations. So pushes intimacy levels farther than God designed. A. Method B restrains intimacy levels so that you have time to gain depth of relationship. It restrains intimacy levels. Now here's how I want you to think about it. And, and I have, there's no way to be, to, to be coy or, or uh, kind of beat around the bush. Um, at your age, you probably can't picture that there's such a thing as a bad sexual relationship, but trust me, there is. There, there are harmful ones. There, there, there are relationships that are horrible. And I've seen couples that the guy looks like he just crawled off the cover of GQ. The girl looks like she just crawled off Vogue and they hate each other and they can't get the least bit thrilled about being together after being married for a year. And you go, why? Look at them. I mean, they're, they're like this beautiful, shining couple. Well, the reason is, is because they let all the air out of their intimacy before they got married. And it's, it's a real simple way to think about it. Has anybody here ever used a slingshot? All right. <clears throat> now, if you want to you make, make the rock go as fast as you can, what do you do? You pull it back as far as you can until you start to strain and pull and pull and pull and pull and pull. Method B is if the rock is your intimate relationship with your spouse, method B is you keep pulling that. Pull, 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 pull. Oh, it's straining, it's straining until your wedding day. And then what happens? You let go and whoosh, that thing's rocketing forward. Method A Instead of pulling it, you're going, oh, I just want to get up here and there's no power. There's none. And you let go with the wedding day, dink, and that's it. <laughs> that's all you get. <clears throat> I've seen that too many times to not know it's true. So method B restrains intimacy levels. Number seven, similar to another one, method A tends to push families away and makes families the enemy. It makes your future in-laws the enemy which is really silly when you think about it, when they're going to be the grandparents of your kids. And if you start your relationship with those families, not knowing what's going on, not liking each other and so forth, tends to push families away. Method B tends to bring families together. Why? Because there's an emphasis on the girl going and spending time with the guy's family and the guy going and spending time with the girl's family and then getting to know each other and getting comfortable with each other and knowing where the toilet paper is and knowing where the forks are and, and knowing each other's homes and getting involved. Why do you think that would be important? Let me just stop for a quick question. Why would that be important to get to know each other's families if you're building toward marriage? 
Any thoughts? Anybody have grandparents? Do you, do you want to stay comfortable with them? Well, I'll help you out since you were deemed silent. Um, you're going to spend decades in that relationship. Method A pushes them away. You think that's a good start? I've literally, I've literally seen at weddings, I've seen parents meeting each other for the first time. Are you kidding me? You're about to share DNA when they make grandchildren you've never met? You don't know each other? You want to bring families together, spend time with each other's family. Number eight, method A assumes that the couple needs to, uh, I guess the good word would be click, almost immediately based on personality and compatibility. It assumes that the couple needs to click almost immediately based on personality and compatibility. All right, what's important to you? What is important to you in a spouse someday? And, and I, don't mean the, I don't mean the super deep stuff. I mean just who do you want to hang out with? What, what kind of qualities do they have? What kind of person do you want to hang with? Yes, ma'am. A godly man. And you want him to be serious and somber all the time or maybe have a sense of humor also. Sense of humor, right? Okay. So, um, who else? Who do you want to just, who do you want to play games with? You want to play games with somebody who, who uh, cheats? What kind of person do you want to play? I mean like a board game. What kind of person do you want to play games with? Who do, you, who do you like to play games with? Who's fun? Someone who follows the rules. Yeah. Um, I enjoy playing games with my wife because she's super competitive and she will never let you, if you lose to her, she will never let you forget it. And I love that. It's fun. But you do want to be with somebody that you enjoy hanging out with, right? Because they're going to be your best friend. Uh, first before you have kids and then for many, many years after you have them. But method A says, we've got to figure that out like on the first date or on the first time we get together. We've got to figure out that, wow, we're really, we're really clicking. We really make sense together. And that's not all bad, but there's an assumption there that somehow in the first 15 minutes, you guys have to know each other. Have you ever heard of the concept of speed dating? Speed dating, I, these places that do speed dating, I want an A-bomb to just come and you just get rid of them because it is so superficial. It is somehow in four minutes, I've got to connect meaningfully with you. And it never works. I watch it just to make myself mad sometimes. It never works. They're trying to find, well, what do you like? Well, I like the color red. Hey, really, I do too. Let's base our whole lives on the fact that we like the color red. Method B though, assumes that two people will grow in intimacy and love as they purposefully walk with Christ. It assumes that two people will grow in intimacy and love as they purposefully walk with Christ. <clears throat> if you came to me and said, and, and this happens all the time, said, I'm really interested in so-and-so, what do I need to know to not make a bad choice? I always say, ask two things. Do they love the Lord Jesus Christ? And are they saved? Yes. And B, do they take scripture as their final authority? If those two things are true, I literally could take you and that person and have you meet at the altar. You might be going, really? I don't even know your middle name yet. And I don't know what size shoe you wear. And eventually you would make it work. If you both love Christ and come under the authority of his word. Now that's not the way we want to get married, but I, I do know this, studies have shown that arranged marriages in other cultures have a much lower divorce rate than in our culture. You know why that is? A, they didn't have a choice, and B, in their culture, they assume that they will grow to love one another. They assume that, and it's true. Whenever somebody comes to me and says, ah, I'm not sure about so-and-so, well, is he saved? Yeah. Um, does he come into the authority of Scripture? Yeah, but, and I, I had a girl tell me this, but his head is shaped so funny. And I'm afraid our children will look like that. Well, and so then I told her, 
Maybe I should be telling him how superficial you are and that you think those things are important. You take any two people who love the Lord, who come into the authority of Scripture, parachute them onto a desert island where they have to survive together for two years. At the end of that two years, if you say, okay, it's time to go your separate ways now, they would say, no, no, we're too close. We're, we're, we're intimate. We love each other. We've had to survive together. Method B assumes that two people will grow in intimacy. Number nine, method A, there's an underlying struggle for power in the relationship. There's an underlying struggle for power. Who's going to be in charge? It's not an inherently sacrificial giving relationship, but it's one in which you expect to get something. And that's a setup for failure in marriage. There is a power struggle. Method B, God is acknowledged as the authority in all matters. God is acknowledged as the authority in all matters, and both parties are working toward fulfilling their God-given roles in the marriage. So in other words, if a young man decides that his role as a husband is to be a domineering jerk, and your job is to just make money, and your wife should serve you like your slave your whole life, you're not ready to get married. Yet that's the view that most people in method A bring to it. Um, on the other side, Ladies, if a young lady believes that her view of marriage is that a, a guy is meant to create a princess-like kingdom on your behalf to give you a castle and to give you a happy life and to make you joy-filled and giving you jewels and pearls and things your whole life, that's a struggle for power as well. So the struggle is who's going to be in charge? You know who usually wins that battle? It's usually the girls. You know why? Because the curse of Genesis 3 says you will says that your desire will be for your husband, meaning that you'll, you'll rule over him. And that's when you fast forward 30 years later to a guy who's just kind of staring off into the, into the nothingness as his wife has run his life over for 30 years, and they've both been unhappy. Number 10, method A often leads to multiple breakups and solidifying sinful relationship happens, uh, patterns. It leads to multiple breakups, and solidifying sinful relationship patterns and habits. You know, the studies have shown that if you've been going out with somebody for a year and you've gotten really close and a breakup happens, emotionally, that's no different than a divorce. The only difference is there's no papers filed at the courthouse. So imagine if you have known divorced people, my parents were divorced, I've worked with tons of divorced people, what that does to you emotionally, it's like taking your heart and just ripping it apart. Imagine that happening three, four, five, ten times. How healthy a marriage do you think you can have after you've been through that ten times? It's going to be very hard for you because also you've gotten in the habit now of when things get hard, what do you want to do? Run. Because that's what's happened before. Or you want to make the other person run. I'm going to make you so miserable that you'll you'll file for divorce and I'll laugh all the way to the courthouse. Method B, on the other hand, very less often leads to breakups and at the very least it leads to sanctification and growth. And when a relationship does break up, they break up as friends, not as enemies. Method, or number 11. Method A is often engaged in out of emotional neediness that someone is going to fill a void in my life. I feel this emptiness, and I have to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, I don't know, I mean, it's been a long time since I was your age, but when I was in high school, it was very simple. The fulfilled kids had a boyfriend or girlfriend, and the losers didn't. I mean, it, it was a real clear dividing line. And there were all, like when I was a freshman, and I had these really goofy looking glasses, and my, my face looked like, uh, a volcano had hit me from 15 angles, and these guys who were my friends, who were just two years older than me, they're, you know, a foot taller and walking around. I was four foot 11 when I started high school, so that was a bad, bad news right there. These guys walking around and holding hands with a girl, I thought, oh, if only I could have that, I would be happy. Or sneaking around the corner for a quick kiss or, or more than that, and I thought, wow, those are the guys I want to be like. That's who I want to be like. But you know what I found out? I found out that every time I or anybody else tried to fill that void by, by just 
artificially creating a relationship didn't work. It didn't work. You know, I get with them, get with a girl. I had a number of girlfriends in high school that I, I regret deeply. And after two weeks, I think, man, you're boring and you don't use deodorant and I don't really like being around you anymore. And so then I'd be about to be the one to break up and she'd tell me, you know, you're boring. You don't use deodorant. And I, oh, wait a minute. No, I was supposed to say that because everybody's looking for this, this void filler and it's not going to work. It doesn't ever work. On the other hand, method B is designed for those who are already joyful in the Lord and can live with someone or live without them. Totally different thing. Never marry somebody who's desperate for you. That doesn't work. Let's do a couple more and then we're going to get in, actually get into our text. Um, number 12, method A, tends to start way too young. What's the rule of thumb been since probably time began or since cars were invented? You can start dating when you're how old? 16. Somebody said it. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Somebody just pulled it out of the air. That doesn't mean anything. Tends to start way too young. On the other hand, method B tends to value established maturity, that you have something to bring to the table. Look, I hate to say, I say this to guys all the time. If what you're bringing to the table is you're cute and you can jump high when you play basketball, that won't pay the bills. And that won't help in a, in a, as a father. That won't help you do anything. Okay, finally, then we're going to go on to the next part here. Method A, there is not a single example found in Scripture of method A. I call it playing marriage. Others call it dating. That's a word that people would use. Method B seems to line up with a more biblical design for aiming for marriage. Others would call it courtship. The name doesn't matter. That's why I just use method A and B. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. <clears throat> you can use words because it helps identify things. Obviously, method A is the, the typical sinful and worldly dating method. And I said sinful. Let me back up. It has the potential to be sinful. There's nothing in Scripture that says thou shalt not use method A any more so than if somebody says it's not in the Bible, you can't do it. Well, nothing in the Bible allows me to drive a car, but I still do. But it tends to lead down a road that leads to great pain. So the name doesn't matter. But I want to talk about maturing for marriage. Okay, so let's say that I've convinced you that method B is the way to go. Well, how do you know you're ready? My grandparents got married. You ready for this? How old are you, all your girls? Right here. How old are you? All right. Okay. 11? 15? 16? 16. By the time my grandmother was 16, she had been married for two years and had two babies. All of you like, oh, I haven't even taken care of, you know, my hair yet. I don't know how to do things. So age has nothing to do with it. That's the good news. The bad news is maturity has everything to do with it. How do you know you're ready? The average teenager in America today does not have a clue how to be an adult. That's not entirely your fault because now we have a generation of teenagers who have parents who still don't know how to be adults half the time. And that, that makes it very difficult. Um, girls, you learn early to be gossips and to stab each other in the back relationally and nobody tells you to stop doing that. Um, you learn early to expose way too much skin without realizing that you're driving boys crazy. Or maybe you do realize it. I don't know. Um, girls today have too little self-respect. They show more of their bodies than they should instead of reserving themselves from their, for their husbands. Here's something ironic, ladies, I'll tell you. Beautiful young women who, before they're married, they hardly wear anything, and their husbands come to me after, after um, they get married, and they say, how come she doesn't dress that way anymore? She doesn't, she doesn't um, show to me what now is my right to see. Now she shows it to everybody else, but when we're at home, she won't do that because you got things started too soon and went, went upside down. Boys today, they tend to confuse lust and love, and that's just something that you're going to have to deal with. Boys today are better at video games than you are at managing money, right? That's just normal now. You know more about sports than you know about doctrine, and you know how to handle a smartphone you could write pages on that. How do you handle a lady? You write 
I don't know. And that's it. That's what you have. And so you're fighting something. So how do you know you're ready? That's what I want to talk about. And that's what I want to do from Titus 2. How do you know a young lady is ready? Well, I'll tell you how I know from Titus chapter 2, verse 4, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, there's your checklist. How do you know you're ready? You understand what it means to love your husband. Well, if you don't know what that means, ask your mom, read some books. What does that mean? You desire to be a mother and to raise children. You know, there's an epidemic today among young women who don't want to be mothers anymore. And I don't know where that's coming from exactly, but it's, it's not healthy and it's not right. Um, self-controlled. That means that you value your own dignity. You're not, you're not running your mouth all the time. You're, you're thinking before you speak. You have to be self-controlled um, as a young woman. By the way, there are as many women arrested for domestic violence as there is men. It's all a self-control issue. You have to be pure. That means you desire to please the Lord in all respects, including sexual purity. You're working at home. That means that you desire to make your family your top priority. It's not an add-on to your personal achievement goals. And, and that's the biggest thing young ladies have a problem with today. Are you telling me that God's design for me is to be a wife and a mother? No, I'm not telling you that. God is telling you that. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> um, that means being a wife and a mother, I think of it as being a, like an upper-level manager. Um, means you bring skills to the table. Learning to bake brownies and to um, wash skillets is not preparation to be a wife. Um, learning things like how to run an Excel spreadsheet. Learning things like how to balance a budget. Um, going to school and getting some skills and bringing education into your family. That's huge. I'm thankful. My wife has, she has a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in education. And she has used that with, with us. Um, she has taught me many things. A little known, little known secret, my wife was my first preaching instructor. She would sit with a clipboard every Sunday and go through things because she's an outstanding communicator. So it means that you're bringing skills to the table. It uh, doesn't mean that you've just learned how to make a bed um, and change a diaper. You're bringing skills. So I always encourage young lady, learn some skills. Uh, if you haven't found Mr. Right yet, get as much education under your belt as you possibly can and, and be bright and brilliant. means that you're kind. You've grown into someone who knows how to show compassion and selflessness to others. Here, what do I mean by this? With young girls... There are two responses when a, an older woman comes out of the restroom at church and she's got a big old piece of toilet paper stuck to the heel of her shoe and she's dragging it out, okay? There's two responses. If you are not yet kind, your response is to run away and find all your friends and stand at a distance and go, check this out. It's on YouTube, it's on Facebook before you know it. If you have crossed the line into kindness, you go up to her and you say, Mrs. Smith, let me take you back in the restroom. You see the difference? Real simple difference is you're thinking about others as opposed to how funny something is. It says here, submissive to your own husbands, that you have a knowledge and a love for the Lord's ordained functional order in marriage. That's the only path to true happiness for a wife. I have seen hundreds and hundreds of women try to find a different way to be happy. It doesn't work because it's not God's design. So if you don't believe in that, then don't get married. And then you care about the reputation of God's word. It says that um, to be submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. What does that mean? Well, the word of God says that wives submit to their husbands. And um, that's a way to obey the Lord. And if you don't do that, then you're basically saying, I don't believe God's word. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 has an interesting thing, ladies. It talks about... Coming under the authority of a husband, and it says, because of the angels. Now, what does that mean? The most submissive creatures in the world, in the universe, are angels. They always do what their Heavenly Father tells them to do. And when a person who says, I worship the Lord Jesus, I'm under His Lordship, but I refuse to do something He's told me to do, that's, that would be grieving to an angel. 
So that's how you know a young lady is ready. You're, you're bringing something to the table. You're bringing that maturity. And ladies, I would tell you now, start, start getting ready now. Don't waste your teen years playing child all the time. A um, hundred years ago, half of you would be married already, and, and maybe rightly so. Take opportunities to be discipled. Read grown-up books about godly womanhood. Just because you're in Cornerstone doesn't mean you can't participate in things that the women's ministry is doing. I would encourage you to participate in everything you can and grow up faster. How about a young man? Now, men are simple creatures. And so Paul gives Titus one word for them instead of a whole list. He just says in Titus 2.6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's it. Nothing else. But it says everything. You know what the word self-controlled means? It means sensible. Now, let's take a vote. Do girls or boys grow up faster in maturity? Who, who, says, who says boys? <laughs> who says girls? Exactly. What Paul is telling Titus is train young men to be sensible, to be grown up, to be adult. He knows what men do and he's pursuing that. So let me give you some ways, guys, that you pursue being a man. Pursue being a provider. Um, you, you, are, you are to look ahead to your life and look out for how am I going to make a living. Pursue learning how to take care of her. You know how to practice that? You guys practice taking care of your mom. Start, start opening her door. Start treating her with respect and kindness. And that's good practice. That's what your mom is there for. And she'll love that as well. Um, growing your knowledge of the word. There's nothing more frustrating for a young woman to marry a guy who doesn't know his Bible, and she does. That's a hard thing for, for a young lady to deal with. Um, growing your love for Christ. Uh, one of the hymns we sang on Sunday morning during our communion time was written by a 16-year-old boy. And it's a beautiful hymn. Um, my Jesus, I love thee. Was that, was that the one? I can't remember. But one of those. Um, grow in your service in the church. I always ask young men, oh, I want to marry so-and-so. I always ask them, what are you doing in the church? Well, nothing. Then you're not going to do anything at home because you don't love Christ. What do you mean I don't love Christ? You're not doing anything for him. You're not serving him. That's what men do. Men of God serve in the church. Develop a sense of responsibility. How about this one? Be on time. Do the things that you say you're going to do. Those simple things, that's what makes the difference between the man and the boy is he does what he says he's going to do. And he keeps his word. You should be a guy who would make a great dad. How are you around kids? Spend time around children. And then start thinking about this. I know this sounds heavy, but you should. You should start thinking about, how am I going to make a house payment? How am I going to make a car payment? Or in today's age, two of them. How am I going to pay for a young lady? Um, it is completely appropriate when a young man and a young lady come together for a young lady and her parents to say, how much do you think you're going to make? Because if you're making $20,000 a year, their daughter is going to be shopping, um, shopping the secondhand racks for the rest of their life. That's okay, but they want to know, and rightly so, are you going to work hard to the best of your ability, to the top of your potential? Some guys have this much potential, then you should live up to it. Some guys have this much potential, you should live up to it. So you see what self-controlled means? It means growing up and thinking grown-up stuff and, and hanging around those who, who do that. Um, you are a servant. You're a grown-up. And so, guys, don't waste your teen years just being a kid all the time. Start thinking ahead. Take opportunities to be discipled. Uh, read grown-up books about godly manhood. So, all right, you getting the, you getting the gist of the, two, the difference between the two? Um, so you only have two choices. All of you, every one of you here, get ready early, believe what I have to say, prepare well. That's choice number one. Choice number two, ignore me completely, keep playing around, and experience great pain and regret and natural consequences later. Those are the only two choices. <clears throat> I've been around long enough to have done talks like this with people your age and see them 20 years later and see the pain and the consequences of having not listened. So it's not, it's not theory to me. Um, so just a couple things here. When you get married, it's very much two families getting married. And so it's, it's 
possible. It's important to get everyone together as much as possible. Uh, for our family, we have some standards. Uh, for us, it's important that my wife Sylvia, uh, that she get to know a potential daughter-in-law very well. They need to become good friends and even form a mom and daughter relationship. That's what makes it a healthy relationship. For me, I have one daughter, just one, and whatever young man is interested in her is going to have to become my best friend. I mean for life. I mean because I will keep five acres, a shovel, and a shotgun available at all times in case he hurts my daughter. I only have one, so I'm not going to let her go um, easily. So just think in those terms. Um, here's something I want to ask all of you to pray about doing. And then, and then we'll open it up for some questions. I want to ask you to pray about asking your parents to be involved in your love life. Are you serious, Pastor Steve? Deadly serious. Ask them to get involved. Now, I went through this list of all the things you do to get, to get ready. You want to know how to frustrate yourself like crazy is to have, make no progress on that list um, before you start getting romantically involved with someone. That'll frustrate you. That'll frustrate everybody because now you're trying to, you're trying to make your life happen um, before things are ready. Um, my son, Michael, is in a courtship relationship with Abby Jones, and he is making good grades in school. I wish I could say it's because his mom and dad are telling him to make good grades in college. I know what his motivation is. He wants to get married like the day he finishes school. I mean, that's, that's his goal. And so he is like, he is all over this because he doesn't want to waste time because I've told, told him the reality that I don't have bucket loads of money to spend if you blow your scholarship. If he blows his scholarship, he's going to have to take a year off. Guess what that means? That means waiting longer. He doesn't want to do that. So um, he, is, he is intent on that. He's trying to go through his list and, and work through those goals. So ask your parents to get involved. Tell them that you want their advice. You want them involved. You want to have long talks and sit down and talk through um, this relationship. That you want them to be best friends with the person you're interested in. And that's okay to do. Then when the right preparations have been made, solid foundation is put down now you can form a new family unit. And that's a, that's a neat thing. Now, is there anybody here, just honestly, that have you, for more than five minutes ever, I know this will be true of the girls, more than five minutes ever have thought about what would it like to be married? What would, what would that be like? Who's thought about that? All right, there you go. So now think proactively, how are you going to actually make that happen? And I would highly encourage method B.